Well, this morning we're going to take a break again from Genesis. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 again. As we, uh, if you remember, a couple of weeks back, or a couple of maybe a month or so back, I, I preached a sermon on the parable of the lost coin, in uh, in a series that I've kind of developed for a revival series. That I'm, uh, if I have to preach a revival or get to preach a revival, I should say. Um, we, uh, I usually preach from Luke chapter 15 and preach through these five parables, or three parables that you find in Luke chapter 15. And so uh, today I'd like to finish uh, from those three parables by looking at the parable of the prodigal son. I got to studying in, Luke, uh, in Genesis chapter 14, which is where we would be today if I went with Genesis and I, I made the mistake of studying too much. I studied to the point that I ran out of time to actually write my sermon. So uh, in order to do Genesis chapter 14, the justice that it deserves, I decided to wait and, and do that the next time we have service. And so uh, you'll just have to hold out and see why that, that's going to be so good, I guess. <laughs> uh, but Luke chapter 15, we're going to look at a very famous uh, Parable. In fact, I would say besides uh, one other parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, this is probably the most parable, most famous parable you've people know about. You've read about. Uh, in fact, I would say that it's even famous out in society because you hear of people saying, you know, oh, the prodigal son has returned. I think some people quote that phrase and don't even know where it came from. Oftentimes, but. Um, but we're going to look at this very famous parable. And just to remind you, uh, Jesus has been addressing an issue with the Pharisees because he is uh, eating a dinner with tax collectors and sinners. And it says at the beginning of Luke chapter 15 that the Pharisees grumbled because he was uh, eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus launches into these three parables that deal with how we value other people and how we value ourselves. And so in the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus is dealing with how the Pharisees have wrongly valued other people in that they think that these uh, tax collectors and sinners are less than human. They are less valuable than, than they themselves are. And then uh, in the parable of the lost coin, Jesus deals with how we value ourselves and, uh, and particularly how the Pharisees valued themselves. And while a silver coin is worth a lot to, to this woman that loses it, yet it's no more valuable than any of the other ten coins that she has. And then lastly now, Jesus is going to deal with the significance of our works because the Pharisees thought that by doing good works and by doing particular types of good works, that they were more valuable than other people and that their works themselves made them valuable before God, made them really indispensable before God. And so I want to look at what, how God measures our worth and particularly the worth of our works today. And so we'll read uh, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. We'll read through the end of the chapter. So this is a pretty good passage, pretty long passage that we're going to read together. And then, um, then I will pray and we'll get into the sermon. 
So follow along as I read Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 31. And he, that being Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his, said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he received him back safe and sound. And he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for this, this your brother was dead and is, and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we come to you much like lost sheep. We come to you much like a coin that is lost. We come to you much like this prodigal son. We come unable to do anything because we are too weak and weary from having run away from you. We come as one much like a coin who can't do anything to find its owner, but just lay there helpless, longing for to be found, longing to be used and to be valued. Father, we come knowing that we 
uh, our value is not wrapped up in the things that we do, not wrapped up in who we are or uh, our name or our lineage or any of that. But Lord, the, our value before you is in the image that you have given us and in the grace that you have given us in your son. And so, Lord, we come to you as needy sheep. We come to you as lost coins. We come to you as prodigal sons. Lord, we ask that you would deal with us graciously, that you would deal with us like a loving father who would run from a long distance to embrace and kiss his son. And Lord, that we would understand the right value of our works, that our worth is not tied up in the things that we do or the value that we can add to your kingdom. Our worth is in the value that you place on us as children of the Most High God. Lord, forgive us for wrongly valuing other people. Forgive us for wrongly valuing our works. And may we serve you with gratitude because you are a loving and gracious Father. Lord, bless me as I preach. Give me the words to say. Give me the strength to preach it. And Lord, bless these people as they hear it, that they might be encouraged and built up. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Not too long ago, about probably about a year ago, I bought some new property out uh, in the Montre community, if you know anything about Butler County. And, and I walked all over the property. This was a smaller track that I had purchased. And, and I walked all over the property getting ready for hunting season. I planted a, a couple of fields, got all excited about things, went all over the place hunting it last year. And, uh, but this past year, I... I um, sold the timber on it and the timber company came in and started cutting it and it wasn't until they cleared the land that I realized that even though I had been all over that property I had missed an old house place that was on the property that was right there by the road the whole time that I had been walking around and, and, and hunting the property. It turns out that there was this uh, probably 100, 150-year-old home there that I had completely missed because the privet hedge and the vines and everything had grown up into and around the house. And it wasn't until the, the, um, the loggers cut the trees around the house that I realized that it was there. And you know, perhaps you've noticed that about buildings and equipment, that it doesn't take long for the earth to reclaim an area that we've worked in. If you know that from having set equipment out or having an old house place, you know that it doesn't take long for the vines to grow up or even a tree to grow through it. Um, my, my wife's grandfather has never lost anything that he's owned. He still has, or before he died, he still had everything that he had ever bought. And I always thought it was neat to go out on his property. And it was kind of spooky sometimes because you'd be walking out there and come across some old uh, log truck or some old uh, tractor or something like that. But it was really neat because there was some old equipment that he had. He had an old logger's dream. I don't know if y'all know what a logger's dream is, but it was an old, uh, basically what they used before skidders, right? I mean, it was this old crane type of truck that that he had sitting out there and it had a pine tree about that big around growing up through it. But it was still his and he was still ready. I imagine he thought that one day he was going to go out there and work on it and get it crank again, but he would have to cut the pine tree out first. But it's interesting that no matter what we have, 
no matter how much we own, no matter how much work we put into it, no matter how much value we assign to it, at some point, if we leave it laying around, the earth will swallow it back up. And in just a few years, all of the value and all of the worth that we put into something will be gone and swallowed back into the ground. You know, that old house place, I got to thinking how, how difficult that thought is, that this, this was a place that somebody raised a family in. This was somebody's hard work. I mean, the, the place had rough-hewn beams, beams that were formed by somebody taking an axe and chopping it square. I mean, that's not easy work. And yet, over the last hundred years, that house has all but disappeared. And I think it gets to something that is really innate in all of us, is that we want our works to last. We want recognition for our hard work that we've put into something. We want people to remember us and to somehow live on in the hard work and the things that we've made. That's a natural thing for us to want as humans, but it's also something that leads us to a level of sin and, and uh, corruption. In Genesis chapter 5, Lamech writes a song about a violent murder that he committed against a young man so that everyone might remember and fear him. The people of Babel, you remember that story we just went over not too long ago. The people of Babel set out to build a tower into the heavens that they might make a name for themselves. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon built a golden statue to celebrate his greatness and to be remembered. And yet, all of those things are gone now. If I had not preached on Genesis chapter 5 and told you who Lamech is, you probably wouldn't know him from all the other popular uh, Bible characters that you already have heard about. He's a little known name in the lineage of Cain. The Tower of Babel was left in ruin and nowhere to be found now. Nebuchadnezzar and the empire of Babylon have long been wiped from the face of the earth. Regardless of how much we try, we cannot save ourselves by our good works. We cannot work hard enough to make a name for ourselves that would be remembered. At some point, the ground will swallow it back up. We cannot extend our lives by appeasing the gods with our right living. We cannot make ourselves acceptable before God by following some certain code of ethics. And yet, the Pharisees of Jesus' day believed that they could. In part, they thought that they could be accepted before men because of their good works. Jesus warns His disciples in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. They also believed that their good works would make them acceptable before God. Matthew 23, 27 through 32, Jesus pronounces woes on the Pharisees, calling them whitewashed tombs because on the outside they were really pretty and nice looking. But on the inside, he says, they are dead men's bones. 
In verse 32, he tells them that they are filling up the measure of their fathers. And what he means there is that the Pharisees thought that there literally was this treasury, this treasure box in heaven. And that when they did a good work or when you do a good work, you add to that treasury box. You're putting money in your treasury that you're storing up in heaven. And when you do a bad work, you're storing up bad treasure. But what Jesus says is that you're filling, you think that you're filling up your treasure box in heaven. So that when you get to heaven and when the judgment comes, you can pay God off by taking your treasure box and saying, see, here's how much I'm worth. I deserve this. But in reality, what you're really filling up is a cup of wrath. You're really storing up wrath against the day of judgment. So now in Luke chapter 15, Jesus turns to this last parable in this triad of parables that I've told you about. First, he, he uh, chides the Pharisees because of their value of other people by telling the parable of a lost sheep. And secondly, he tells them how wrongly they valued themselves by telling the parable of the lost coin. And so now he comes to the most famous of parables, the parable of the prodigal son. And now, if you've been in church for any length of time, I know you've heard this parable. And I know you've probably heard it preached a thousand times. Uh, And most of the times, most preachers, rightly so, focus on the prodigal son. Because that makes up the majority of the story. But really, the story would be better told as the parable of the older son or the parable of the two sons. Because the climax of the story actually comes in verse 25, not in the story of the the younger son himself. Remember that Jesus is addressing the grumblings of the Pharisees. Every one of these parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and now the prodigal son, is aimed at the Pharisees. And so we find the climax of the story in verse 25 when he addresses the older son. And that's where we'll focus most of our time today. But having said that, there are two repeated themes that I want you to notice about the prodigal son. And then we'll look at two things that I want you to see about the older son. So first of all, notice that just like the lost sheep and just like the lost coin... The prodigal son is as far away from his father as he possibly can be. Notice the language in verse 13. First of all, it says that he, as soon as he gets his inheritance, he packs his bags and he leaves immediately from his father's presence. There's no goodbye and there's no regret. Second, notice that he goes to a far country. The idea here is that he went to Gentile territory. He went outside of the Jewish nation. And that's not just a a get as far away from uh, my friends as I possibly can. But it's the idea of getting as far away from my father as I possibly can. Because no good Jewish father would go into Gentile territory, not even for his own son. And lastly, notice 
not only is he far away from his, uh, uh, does he leave immediately, not only is he is in a Gentile country, but he is as far away as he could be from his upbringing because it says that he lived recklessly when he went to this far country. Now see here that Jesus is a masterful storyteller. He tells the parable of the lost sheep as this analogy of sinners as helpless animals. And he tells the parable of the lost coin to compare sinners to a valuable heirloom. But now he shows just how corrupt and just how sinful these people really are. They are helpless, not because they are little lambs that just can't get free from a, a, a bush. And not because they are helpless coins that are unable to do anything, even though they are made of good stuff and have a good heart. No, they are helpless because they are in willful rebellion against God. And they are entrapped by their sin. Their sin has them so mired down that they cannot escape it. The second thing I want you to notice about the younger son is that this son is incapable of making himself right before God, before his father. In verse 17, it says that he came to himself and realized that even the hired servants in his father's home were better off than he was. I mean, he's wanting to eat pig slop. He's so bad off. So he can only hope to be his father's employee. He can only hope to return and ask to be an employee in his father's household. But he decides to just try that. Now this boy has no way to make this situation right. Keep in mind that he has wasted all of his money that his father gave him. So he can't pay his father back. He can't give it back and say, Daddy, accept me back. I'm sorry. When he left, he burned every bridge that he had with his relationship with his dad. So he couldn't even appeal to his position as his father's son. And he lived in such a way that now he is corrupt and he is ceremonially unclean. So he can't even appeal to a common religion or a common practice with his father. He has absolutely nothing that he can appeal to to offer to repair this relationship. And yet, you know the rest of the story. When he was still a long way off, verse 20 says, his father came running. His father gladly received him back, killed a fatted calf, which in those days they didn't eat a lot of meat. And so they kept a calf ready, a calf fatted, not so they could have steak on Friday night, but so that when a dignitary came through the village or when they had a family reunion, they could kill the fatted calf and have a celebration. This was a big deal. You didn't just go around killing fatted calves all the time. But now his son has returned and so he kills the fatted calf. He puts a robe on his son, which was a sign of royalty. He puts a ring on his son, which is a sign of his own authority as his son's father. And he puts sandals on his son's feet as a sign of respect and love. And he hugs and kisses his son and he throws a party because the son that was lost is now found. 
You see, brothers and sisters, this is the picture of every sinner. And this is the picture particularly of a group of sinners that the Pharisees despised. There were a group of Jews known as the Hellenistic Jews that were scattered into the world when Babylon conquered Israel and Judah back in the 600s B.C. And so now those people, when they were scattered, they adopted the practices of the countries to which they went. They ate their foods. They did business in those countries. They even married the people of those countries. And the Pharisees hated them for it. They despised them because they saw these Hellenistic Jews as the root problem for why Israel could not come out from under the rule of foreign countries. And they hated tax collectors for much the same reason, because tax collectors were Jews who were basically living like Gentiles in their own land. And so now, notice the older son. First, in verse 28, it says that the older son was angered by the acceptance of his brothers. It says that he heard the noise from the field of this party that is going on, and he comes in to see what's going on. And now, surely, if you're a sibling, or if you have siblings, you can, at a base level, understand what's going on here. Even though my children are, get along really well, even though they love one another, or, or at least they say they do, um, even though they seem to get along pretty well, they still question my judgment when I seem to favor one child over another. I mean, if you had a brother or sister, you know how that goes. You know that it never seems to be just right how daddy treats one over you, or maybe you know that you got a little more favoritism than the other one did. We say that we know fairness as human beings. We say that we understand it, but in reality, we do not judge fairness well. We say, for example, that we believe in paying people for what they're worth. But did you know that even today, women are paid 20% less than men for doing the same type of job on average? We say that we want everyone in the family to get their equal share of the inheritance. But then if mama or daddy dies, all of a sudden items that we probably previously cared nothing about become more important than life itself. No, we don't value fairness. When we say we are for fairness, really what we mean is we are for what's fair to us. And second, I want you to notice that the older son is upset because of all of the work and honor that he has put into his relationship with his father. In verse 29, he complains that he has served his father and never disobeyed. I've kept every rule, every law, every requirement that you have ever given me. Now, here's the interesting thing about this, and it's a very poetic turn in the story that I don't want you to miss. First, notice that the younger son believed that he could only be accepted before his father if he came back as a slave. And yet, 
he was received as a son. The younger son believed that he was only worthy to be a slave, and he was received as a son. The older son was already a son, but viewed his whole life as slavery. He said, I've done everything that you would want me to do. I've worked like a slave my whole life. How could you accept him when I've done all of this? And yet his son looks at him in verse 31 and says, Son, you've always been my son. I've always loved you. And everything that I have is yours. But your brother, your brother, who was lost, is now found. Your brother, who was dead, is now alive. Friend, your works before God are like filthy rags if you aren't a part of His family. You may think that you can work your way up starting in, as a lowly waiter, so to speak, in the family of God and working to the head servant and then somehow gain acceptance into God's family. But you will never be accepted into the family of God unless you are adopted into it. And the only way that you can be adopted into the family of God is not by your work. It's by the work of your brother, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says, Therefore Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Don't look to other people and try to measure your acceptance before God based on what they do. No, look to Jesus and to the work that he has done. Trust in Him and believe that He has saved you and you will be a part of the family of God. Brothers and sisters, may we learn to rejoice like the father of this parable and not scowl like the older son when a sinner enters into the kingdom of God. May we seek out the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the wayward brother. Wayward brother. And may we give up the notions of fairness and the value of our works and instead rest solely in the grace of God for our salvation. Our works are not done like a slave to appease his masters. Our works are done like a child who wants to please his father. We do them out of gratitude, not out of obligation. We do them because we love the Father who has so graciously pursued us. And so may we take that right view of works into the world and serve our Father as we go and carry out our callings this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you because it is by your work that we are able to claim membership in the family of God. Lord, forgive us when we seek to value our works more than uh, more strongly than you do forgive us when we think that our works are some treasure that we bring to you to uh, be accepted and lord may we seek to serve you not because we think that we somehow 
can earn your favor, but rather because we are grateful for the favor that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. Lord, bless us as we go from this place. May we serve you with gladness because we know what you have done for us. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.